Well, it's great to, great to see you tonight. Uh, my name's uh, Kevin. Uh, I should start by saying, of course, Happy Easter. Uh, great, to, uh, great to see you here. Great that we can meet together uh, to remember that great news that Jesus has risen to life again. But before we look at the Bible again, uh, why don't I lead us in prayer? Uh, Father, again, we thank you for your words. Uh, again, we thank you that we can gather together to celebrate the good news that Jesus did not stay dead but rose to life again. And we pray now as we look at this passage in John, Father, help us to understand who Jesus is and to respond rightly to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you come to church on Easter Sunday, you would expect, uh, right, you would look at a passage on the resurrection, right? So you might be expecting, let's look at John chapter 20, right? That would make sense, right? Easter Sunday. But that's not what we're going to do. We're actually going to focus on John chapter 4, uh, the story of that boy who was healed. Now, why are we doing this? Well, I guess the most obvious reason is that when we were putting together the preaching program, we'd planned to look at John chapter 4 over two weeks, right? Seemed like a good idea at the time. But as we got closer, we thought there's so many great things about John. Wouldn't it be better to sort of stretch it out into three weeks, right? Which meant looking at the final part of John chapter 4, on Easter Sunday. We thought, well, is that a good idea? But then when we looked at the passage, end of John chapter 4, we see that it actually is really quite relevant for us to look at on Easter Sunday. See, today we remember, of course, the, the good news that Jesus was raised to life again. But I'm sure many of you would know that part of the, the Christian response to Jesus is that we would believe in Him. Right? You may have heard that phrase before, that we would believe in Jesus. And the passage that we're looking at today, just passage in John chapter 4, helps us think about well, what is the true nature of belief. And so we thought it would be a really uh, helpful passage for us to look at today. So with that in mind, let's get uh, stuck straight in there. We're going to look at verse 46 together. So verse 46. Then he, uh, Jesus, went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. And I've got a map here coming up on the screen. Uh, so in John chapter 4, Jesus has been heading on a journey down from Judea, which is kind of the, the heartland, I guess, of uh, the Jewish nation, and he's been heading up to Galilee. Uh, and this is the journey we've sort of been following uh, in John chapter 4. So he's in that region there up in the north of Galilee. Now, if we kind of uh, zoom in a little bit, uh, you can see there's the town of Cana. That's where Jesus is, made famous, of course. That's where he turned water into wine. Uh, so that's where Jesus is. And this uh, official son is in the town of Capernaum down on Lake Galilee. Now, one thing that's interesting, at least I think it's interesting, so I'm going to tell you about it, which is that uh, Capernaum is on Lake Galilee, right? But uh, Lake Galilee, or Sea of Galilee, is below sea level which means that Cana is up in the hills, is a, is a higher elevation. So you'll see in the passage, they talk about going down to Capernaum and then coming up to Cana, right? Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> I thought it was. But the reason I'm saying this is because it's a good reminder for us that these are not made-up stories, right? These are stories that happened in a real time and a real place. Oops, sorry, but coming back to the passage then, so we see, well, Jesus, he's up in Cana, the son, he is sick in Capernaum. Now, the father hears that Jesus has come from the south, from Judea, up to Galilee, 
And so he comes to find Jesus and pleads with him. Right? Look there, verse 47. So the, the, the man, the official, pleads with Jesus to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. So you can see it's a pretty desperate situation, right? This son, I don't know how old he is, but he's sick, right? So sick that he's about to die. But as this official comes and pleads with Jesus, well, Jesus' response is a little bit surprising, isn't it? Verse 48, Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's surprising because it kind of sounds a bit like a rebuke, doesn't it? doesn't sound very kind and compassionate. Maybe not the kind of thing we'd expect Jesus to say. And we'll come back to verse 48 a little bit later. But if you just put yourself in the shoes of the official for a moment, his concern, obviously, is with his son, right? He knows every moment they delay, well, his son is a moment closer to his death. And there's still a considerable away, sorry, it's a considerable distance from where the son is in Capernaum. And so the official speaks again, verse 49, Sir, come down before my boy dies. You notice the change of language. Previously, he'll, his son, a more formal description. Now it is, come down before my boy dies. Right, a much more intimate description. You really kind of get a sense of the, the desperation of this father and his concern for the well-being of his son. And so now Jesus says, verse 50, he tells him, go, your son will live. And quite remarkably, I think, the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. Right? It's remarkable because Jesus is the one who can heal the son. Right? But at Jesus' words, the official leaves Jesus right? and heads down to Capernaum, trusting, believing that Jesus' words are true, that the son will live. We remember from our reading, as the man heads down the hill to Capernaum, He's met along the way by some people from his house and they tell him good news, right? The son lives, the son has become better. They compare notes, they work out the time. Verse 53, the father realised that the time the son got better was the very hour, the very time at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. And so amazingly, what we see in this little passage is that Jesus has healed this boy in another town. Right? It's like a, a long-distance healing. At the time that Jesus says, your son will live, well, that is the time the fever leaves the boy and he recovers. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Right? For Jesus to heal this boy, presumably he's never met him, but to heal him in another town. In fact, John, the author, tells us in verse 54, he says, This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Now, when he says it's the second sign, it's not the second miracle Jesus did. He, he did lots of miracles before this. But this is one that John particularly wants to draw our attention to, and he describes it as a sign. And this is really important because later on in John's Gospel, in fact, towards the end, John tells us why he's written this gospel for us. He says, These signs are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So the passage is 
pretty straightforward then, isn't it? John tells us about this remarkable healing. He says it's a a sign and he's written it for us, the readers of John's gospel, so that we might come to believe Jesus is the Messiah, God's promised King, that we might know Jesus is the Son of God and by believing that we may have life in his name. And this is one of the reasons that people really like the gospel of John, right? It's it's really straightforward and simple, right? He tells us about the signs and they show us who Jesus is. But the other reason people really like the Gospel of John is that, well, when you start to look, there's more to see. Right? And it's not as simple and straightforward as you might think. And this is a good example of that. And to kind of show you that, I want you to come back with me to verse 48 for a moment. Right, but this is the point, the father has come up from Capernaum, he's pleaded with Jesus for the life of his son, and remember that response of Jesus in verse 48, uh, he said to the man, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. There's a couple of things that's interesting about what Jesus says here. Now he's, he's speaking to the man directly, but did you notice that he addresses more than the official, right? He speaks to those who are listening in as well, the crowds, right? He speaks in the plural. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But the other thing that's really interesting is that Jesus seems quite negative at this point, doesn't he? Quite negative about signs leading to belief. And that's pretty interesting when we come back to John's purpose because he seems quite positive about signs, isn't he? He says it's a great thing that the signs lead to belief. And so how do we put these two things together, right? Well, the key, I think, is to come back to the little introductory passage uh, that comes at the very beginning, right? This is verse 43 to 45, the sort of passage we skipped over before. But I want you to come with me there to uh, verse 43 and see if we can work this out together. So look there, verse 43. So after two days, he, Jesus, left there, that's Samaria, for Galilee. So if you remember back to our map, remember I said Jesus had been traveling from the region of Judea down in the south, traveling up to Galilee. But of course, if you've been with us in our John series, you know that he had a detour on the way. Well, not a detour, but a, a, a incidental conversation, I guess, uh, with a Samaritan woman, and that led him to stay there for two days. So it's after those two days that he left there, Samaria, and has now come to Galilee. But then verse 44, John tells us something about Jesus. Verse 44, Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honour in his own country. Now this is something that Jesus has said previously in his teaching, but John wants to bring it to our attention now. But what does he mean by that? Well, what Jesus is saying is that a prophet or a person of authority, when they come to their own country, that's the place where you would expect they have no honour. And why is that? Well, because they've seen this person grow up. I'll give you an example of what I mean, right? Remember, so just imagine for a moment my, uh, my daughter, Sarah, uh, you may know her, she's nearly three, okay, so very small, right? Now imagine she grew up and became the Prime Minister of Australia, right? That'd be pretty cool. I'm pretty proud of my daughter if that, uh, that happened. But on the other hand, see, for me, it would be quite difficult for me to accept her authority, right? Because I think of her as my, as my little girl, right? 
You might know Sarah, you might remember when she was born, right? Just a little newborn baby. And that's the sense of what Jesus is saying. See, for a prophet or someone with an authority, it's often hard for people in their home country to recognize and accept their authority. That's the kind of sense of what Jesus is saying. But this is a little bit ominous, isn't it? Because Jesus is just about to enter into Galilee. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, but hang on, wasn't Jesus born in Bethlehem, right? And that's true. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, down in Judea. But he didn't stay there for very long. His family moved up to Nazareth. That was a place where he sort of grew up. And you can see that's in the region of Galilee. And so it's a little bit ominous, as John reminds us of what Jesus has said. And now he's about, sorry, about to enter into Galilee. So let's have a look at how the people respond. Verse 45, so when they, Jesus, his disciples, when they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. And we think, hang on, that, that's not right, is it? Right, the Galileans, looks like they've missed a memo, maybe not been checking their emails or something like that, right? Because Jesus has just come to his own country. This is a place he's supposed to have no honour. And yet we're told the Galileans welcomed him. It's a bit strange, don't you think? But the key, I think, is what comes next in the verse, verse 45. So the Galileans welcomed Jesus because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival. Now, Jerusalem is down in the south, in the region of Galilee. Jesus had been there previously at one of the important festivals. But when we read these words... Well, it does kind of begin to ring alarm bells in our mind. Because John actually told us about the time that Jesus was in Jerusalem. So back in John chapter 2, right, John tells us, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. That sounds okay, doesn't it? But let's have a look at the next verse. Jesus, however would not entrust himself to them, for he himself knew what was in man. So you can see that for those crowds at Jerusalem, they saw the signs, they saw the great things what Jesus was doing, but there is, well, Jesus is sceptical, isn't he, of whether they are true believers. But while this might seem quite subtle, I guess, at this point, as we keep going in John's Gospel, it becomes very clear Right, John chapter 6, Jesus again is in the region of Galilee. And the chapter starts well, John 6 verse 2, a huge crowd was following Jesus because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. But then Jesus began to teach that he is the bread of life. And by the end of the chapter, well from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So coming back to this Galileans, and we see their welcome, well, we see it's not quite as it seems. It was a welcome that looked good on the outside, right? They were excited to see Jesus, but these Galileans did not accept who Jesus was. They would not persevere at his disciples. And it seems that these Galileans, they liked Jesus, they liked his signs, the great things that he did, but they weren't really interested 
and accepting him as the Messiah, as God's promised king. And so I think that's the sense with which Jesus rebukes them in verse 48. For the people who would just accept the signs of Jesus would reject him, uh, reject Jesus himself. And as we think of this kind of Galilean welcome, well, of course, it's in contrast to the father of the sick son. Right? Twice we're told in the passage that this father believed Jesus. First of all, verse 50, when Jesus told him, Go, your son will live. Right? The man believed, trusted what Jesus said to him and departed. But then again, in verse 53, we're told that he believed again. Right? When he realized that the son got better at the very moment that Jesus had said, Your son will live. We're told, verse 33, 53, sorry. Then he himself believed, along with his whole household. It seems like there's kind of a, a development in his faith. So I think the Father, it's, well, it's a good example of what John intended in his gospel for us. That we would see the sign, in this case, the long-distance healing of the Son. And that we would come to believe in Jesus. That we would turn to him. But having looked at the passage more carefully then... We can now ask the question, how might this passage encourage or speak to us today on Easter Sunday? Now, of course, as we meet today on Easter Sunday, we remember the great news that Jesus has risen to life again. Right? It's great to read from John chapter 20, right, to see the disciples coming to grips with the, the great truth that Jesus really has come back to life again. And in John's Gospel, it seems this is kind of the greatest sign of all. That Jesus did not stay dead, but rose to life again. And John's written about it for us, his readers, so that we might know that Jesus is the Christ, God's promised King. That we know that He is the Son of God, and so we might turn to Jesus. That we might believe in Him and accept Him as our Saviour and our Lord. So that we might have life in His name. But as we reflect on these signs then, first the, the long distance healing, the resurrection... Well, the question we need to ask is, well, how have we responded to the good news of Jesus? And so what I thought I'd do is I'd put together a flow chart for you. Okay, I used to be an engineer, I like, uh, I like flow charts. I hope you do too. So here we have uh, the, uh, I should have put in a little diagram, question one, anyway, don't worry. But we've seen the signs so far in John's Gospel, right? The long distance healing, the resurrection... And now we ask the question, what is our response to these signs? And there's, well, a couple of different options. Uh, first of all, we can believe in Jesus, right? We can see the signs and act kind of in line with John 20, 31. See the signs, accept that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and so turn to Him, right? This is to be a Christian, right? To be a follower of Jesus. And the great news is if you turn to Jesus... Well, that you can know with certainty that you have life forever in his name. And so I hope that today as we meet together, remember Jesus rose to life again, that would be a great encouragement to you. I know that for, for many of you here, that, that describes you, right? You've someone who's come to believe in Jesus and trust in him. And I hope today that'll be a, a wonderful encouragement for you as we remember the good news of Jesus. But as we think of the, the positive response, well, we also see the opposite, right? This is someone who's not a Christian. Uh, that is, they do not believe in Jesus. 
And so if that's you, if you've come along tonight and you would say, look, I'm, I'm not a Christian, well, I'm really glad to see you here. Really glad you've come to join us tonight. I hope you feel welcome in our congregation. And I guess my hope for you is, well, you've enjoyed your night, you've been intrigued by what we've looked at in the Bible. And my hope for you is that you would come to see the signs that have been written for us in John's Gospel. And that for you, you might come to accept who Jesus is. But while those you know, first two responses are kind of fairly self-explanatory, there is, kind of reflecting on the passage we've looked at, another option. Uh, and that's what I've described as a, a Galilean welcome of Jesus. Right? Remember the Galileans? They kind of looked good on the outside. They welcomed Jesus. But in the, end, in the end, sorry, they rejected the person himself, right? They rejected Jesus. And I guess the question I want to ask is, well, does that kind of describe your response to Jesus? The kind of response that looks good on the outside, but in your heart, you know that you have not come to accept Jesus for yourself. So I'll give you two examples of what that might look like in our context today. Now, perhaps for you, this is what it looks like to be in that category of a, a Galilean welcome, someone who's grown up in a Christian family, right? the person who perhaps calls themselves a Christian. They've learned to say the right things at the right time, but if they're honest, they know, right? They know in their heart that they have not yet come to accept Jesus for themselves. They have not turned to Him. They have not come to believe in Him and accept them for themselves. And if that's, if that's you, if that describes you tonight, well, then my encouragement for you is, is to come to Jesus, right? To see the signs that have been recorded for us and that you would turn to Jesus and accept Him for yourself because it's only as you turn to Him that you would have life in His name. So that's the first example of a kind of a, a Galilean welcome. A second example might be someone who, who's been coming to church for a little while now, right? Perhaps you've been coming with a friend or a spouse or you'll bring your kids along or whatever it is, right? But while people kind of assume you're a Christian and maybe you even describe yourself in that way, in the end, you, you know, right? <laughs> you know that you have not come to accept Jesus for yourself. So we can deceive others, right? It's not that hard, but we cannot deceive God. Jesus himself said he, he knows the heart of a person. And so if that's you, well, my encouragement for you tonight is, is to come to Jesus, right? To see the signs that have been recorded for us the long-distance healing, the resurrection, all the things that John has written for us, and that you would turn to Jesus, that you would come to accept Him for yourself, because it's only as you do that that you might have life in His name. So there's two examples of what it might look like to be in that category of the, of the Galilean welcome. But as we talk about that category, there's one type of person who, who I think does not belong in that category. And I want to be kind of really clear on this. Uh, and that is a Christian who is struggling with doubt. And I kind of want to explain a little bit of what I mean by that. And I've got another, another diagram coming up, all right? 
See, when I first became a Christian, uh, I thought that doubt and belief were the opposite of each other, right? So the more you believe, right, the less doubt that you have. And the more you doubt, well, the less you believe, right? Kind of made sense to me. But I don't think that's quite the way it works, right? I think the opposite of belief is disbelief, right? To reject Jesus. And the opposite of doubt is confidence, right? So there's two different axes. And so that means there's kind of four different places you can be. On the one hand, you can be, this side, a confident Christian, right? Someone who who trusts in Jesus and is confident in their faith, confident they know what the Bible says, confident they know that these things are true, right? And this is the ideal, this is is where we want to be, right? Confident Christian. But what the diagram does, which helpfully, I think, is it also has a place for the struggling Christian, right? For the person who does trust in Jesus and yet for whom doubts rise in their mind, about the truth of Jesus or particular teachings or whatever it is. And I think it's really helpful for us to recognise that that is a reality of the Christian life. I think for most Christians, there is some point in their life where doubts rise in their mind. We shouldn't be surprised when this happens. In fact, I think for for most Christians, they kind of jump between the two boxes right, in different seasons of life. Some people jump between the boxes very quickly, others more slowly. But we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen. And I guess what I want to say really clearly, as we think of that Galilean welcome, the struggling Christian, this is not what I'm talking about, right? If you are a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, then you are in that first category, Right? You are someone who's turned to Him and you can know with confidence that you have life forever in His name. Our confidence is not in ourselves, but in what Jesus has done. We should not be surprised that we find ourselves from time to time in that box as, as doubts rise in our mind. But what I want to say is if you find yourself in that box, well, don't just ignore it. You want to do something about it. First of all, I think the the best response is to pray. I pray that that God would convict you of the truth of His Word, that you might grow in your confidence. You might speak to a, a mature Christian friend about it, talk about the specific doubts that you have or questions. And then you need to do something about it. Right? Work out what do you need to research, what books do you need to read, whatever it is. But the worst thing to do the worst thing is to ignore it, right? just to kind of push it away because that doubt will gnaw at you on the inside and you will find yourself on the other side of the graph. You will find yourself in disbelief. And I think this is a particular danger for people who've grown up in a Christian family. Right? The reality is we shouldn't be surprised when, when doubts come up and we, we need to deal with them, right? not ignore them or push them away. Because if we do, we find that it will destroy the faith that we have. And so I just want to be really clear then, so the Galilean we welcome, we're talking about, this isn't a Christian who is struggling with doubt. Now since I put the diagram up there, I thought I should at least talk about the other two boxes, in case you're interested. Right, so what do I put there? So this one is, um, on this side, right, yeah, uh, an everyday non-Christian. Right, the kind of person 
who is disbelieving, who's rejected Jesus, but kind of just because they don't really know what it is that they're doing, right? They're not confident in that decision, it's just kind of a practical, everyday kind of thing. And I think this is where most Australians fit. But then there is another box, which is a deliberate non-Christian, right? And the difference is, is that they know what the Bible says. They might even believe that it's true with confidence. And yet you can see they've made a deliberate decision to reject Jesus, to disbelieve what Jesus has done and who he is. And I guess the only thing I'd say is, you know, as you think of different people in that category, well, not to give up hope, right? But continue to pray that they might again come to know Jesus. So coming back to our different responses, there you go. So there's different ways that we can respond to Jesus. Right? We can positive way, believe in Jesus, or we can reject him, someone who's not a Christian. But I guess the thing that we've seen in this passage is that third option, right? What we might call a Galilean welcome. Someone who looks good on the outside. The kind of person you might assume is a Christian. And maybe people have assumed that you are a Christian. But in the end, God knows our hearts. You cannot deceive him. And I, you know, I don't say these things to kind of offend you or to, to pass judgment on you or anything like that. I just want you to be honest with yourself. Honest about the state of your heart. And I guess I want to urge you, well, that you would see the signs that have been recorded for us. And that you would come to Jesus, right? That you would believe in Him. Because the wonderful promise of the Scriptures, and we remember this today on Easter Sunday, right? Jesus rose to life again and offers us life. And so my encouragement would be, whatever situation you're in, or to come to Jesus, to turn to Him, to believe in Him, that you might have life in His name. Have it, I'll lead us in prayer. Our Father, we give you great thanks that we can meet together today and remember the good news that Jesus did not stay dead, but that he rose to life again. And Father, we thank you for the wonderful offer of forgiveness, the wonderful offer of, of hope, of hope of of life forever that comes as we turn to him. And Father, we give you such great thanks for your grace and your mercy to us. And we pray for each of us here tonight, as we see the signs that have been written down for us in John's Gospel, we pray that each one of us would turn to Jesus, that we might believe in him, and that we would have a genuine trust in Jesus and a confidence of all that you have done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.